Hi guys, welcome to the Simple Doesn't Mean Easy podcast. We are here every week working on simplifying things in our lives, one day at a time, one simple step at a time. And together we are doing this. I'm your host, Michelle Visser, and today is the final episode in season five. At least I think it is. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> um so actually after this episode, we're going to take a break for just a week or two, and then we'll be right back at it every Monday morning. We're going to start a new season. Um, today's episode is something that hits really home with me. And it's something that became really important to me to understand a little bit more about Um back in 2003. It's been a while. I know the year very specifically because it was the, it was almost Christmas time for my youngest daughter for her first Christmas. And dad got really sick. He had been fighting a bug and the doctor recommended that he take antibiotics. My dad was a back home country folk kind of guy and hadn't really didn't even go to the doctors that much, but had never his entire life taken any antibiotics, never crossed his mind to tell the doctor that. Um, (laughs) And his single dose of antibiotics put my dad not only in the hospital, but he flatlined because he became deadly sick because the antibiotic, which his body was completely not prepared for and not used to, decimated his gut. Like it just wiped out all the bacteria. Now, granted, it's not a bad thing to get rid of the bad bacteria, but it completely ruined all of the good bacteria that his body had built up and was living in his gut. I, until that point in my life, never once thought about the gut, never thought about gut health. But um, it took Tad a while to recover. And it, I'm really glad that, I mean, we had him for another 13 years after that. um, And he did recover, but it was tough. It was really a close scary situation. And all because of one somewhat simple antibiotic that he took. Um, Anyway, so that started my slow journey into understanding a little bit more about why the microbiome is so very important and what we can do to keep it healthier. So today's episode, that was a long intro, is about our gut health and essentially four things that we can do that can improve our gut health and why we should care. So I'm excited. I think this is something that people are much more aware of in the most recent years than we were a decade ago, but it still is something that is is good to talk about and good to think about with our diets. Okay, before we get into the nitty gritty, 
I don't want to forget to tell you. So I'm going to pause right now and remind you, this is your last chance. This is our last episode in season five. It is your last chance to add to your home library, an amazing collection of wholesome wellness books that are going to make a difference in your life. So every author that's been on this season has donated a copy of their book for this giveaway. I threw in Sweet Maple, of course, because every giveaway needs a copy of Sweet Maple, at least around these parts. Um, so this is a great library. This is a great set of resources that you can have a chance to win. Simply go over to solelyrested.com slash podcast for the directions on how to do it. If you don't know how, just leave a review. And it's been so fun seeing your reviews come in. You guys, you are so kind and sweet and generous with your words. And it makes me so happy to see how the podcast is impacting you and your families. So I love hearing from you, but take a quick second, leave a review and you will have a chance to win that amazing set of books. Okay, so our gut health is all that matters is the only thing that we need to think about what we are eating. The answer is no. I don't want to oversimplify this. Even though today's episode, we are focusing on four things that we should have in our diets that are going to help our gut health. Before I mention those four things, I want to make sure that I make it clear. It is not just your diet, though. There are definitely other lifestyle choices that we make that have a huge impact on our overall gut health and our microbiome. For one thing, poor sleep quality. We had a fantastic guest on this season. And if you've missed the episode with Dr. Eric Prather, please go listen. It was so inspiring, so encouraging, so full of great information to help us get better quality sleep. Um, but poor sleep impacts our gut. If we did everything else right and we were only getting, I don't know, four or five hours of sleep every night, our gut would absolutely suffer. Consuming too much alcohol has a huge impact on our gut and just overall inactivity. If you're eating wonderfully, you're sleeping perfectly, but you are getting zero exercise, then you are going to have a very unhealthy microbiome. So not just food, but Food is what we're talking about today. How does it impact our health? So many ways. I can't even begin to itemize them. I don't even begin to understand all the ways that our gut impacts our health. But I can tell you that it directly affects our immune response. Ever since 2020, all of us have been very in tune to the fact that we need to have a healthy immune system, right? And our immune system struggles and it is not healthy if our gut is not healthy. Also, having a gut that's out of whack is going to most likely lead to weight gain. It's sometimes a um, undiscovered, undiagnosed reason that people struggle with weight gain is that they just have a really poor gut health. Um, and it also just, it, it opens us up to all kinds of pathogens, all kinds of problems if the gut isn't healthy. So why does the gut bacteria matter? Okay. Because we have good bacteria and bad bacteria that are living inside of us all the time. That's just the way it is. But we want to encourage, feed, keep healthy the good bacteria. The question is why? Crazy enough, these minuscule bacterias that are busy inside of us are always making things that our body needs. 
and I just looked up a few things. This is just a very minimal list, but um, thymine, folate, biotin, riboflavin, and panthothenic acid are all water-soluble vitamins that are made by our gut bacteria. I thought this was interesting. Dopamine and serotonin, which we talked about back on episode five, I believe, when Joe Winger and I sat down and talked about the simple things we can do to increase the dopamine and the serotonin and, and help us just feel so much better overall. Um, but the dopamine and the serotonin are actually produced, synthesized by our gut bacteria. And actually research shows that 90%, I should say, of our serotonin and dopamine are synthesized in our gut. I don't know where the other 10% is synthesized, but nine out of 10 of them are coming from the gut. And up to half of our daily vitamin K that our body is producing every single day, up to half of that is coming from the gut bacteria. So these are busy, busy little beavers working very hard to make the things that we need. So we need to keep them healthy. We need to feed them well. Okay. So the four things, first thing, well, it's really two things combined into one because we always, when we say one, we say the other fruits and vegetables. Now, when the non-traditional nutritionist was on back in episode nine, Jamie was fantastic. Such a great time talking to her. Um, she really gave me a different way of looking at fruit. And ever since talking with her, I haven't loved fruit quite as much because she pointed out the advantage to vegetables over fruit. Go listen to that episode. It's a good one. But the fact is when we're talking about gut health, they are equally important and equally wonderful. So eating lots of fruits and vegetables makes a huge difference. They're really high in fiber and our body can't digest the fiber. But this is the trick to having healthy gut bacteria. You want to feed it. And the things that our body can't eat, we send on to our intestines. And the bacteria that is living there then gets that food. So the fiber that our body can't use goes directly to these good bacteria and they love it. It makes them happy, it makes them healthy, and it makes them work better for us. But fruits and vegetables are also high in number two, something really important to get a lot of is polyphenols. And it's the exact same reason. You see, human cells usually don't digest all or most of the polyphenols that we eat and drink in our real foods. And because those polyphenols aren't absorbed efficiently, most of them make their way to our colon. And just like I mentioned with the fruit and vegetable fiber, the polyphenols become food for the good bacteria that's in our colon. The third thing, I talk about this a lot over on Instagram. So fruits and vegetables with the polyphenols, also whole grains. Whole grains are so good for our gut. And I'm not talking about going to Walmart and buying, you know, the brown looking loaf that says all natural whole grains and thinking that that is your best choice. Um, if possible, I talk about this so much over on Instagram, if possible to mill your own flour, 
That's what I'm talking about. That is the absolute optimal, most nutritional value you can ever have to use for flour for your baked goods or your breads. Because with your all natural, just milled flour, you're getting all three parts of that wheat berry. None of it is getting taken out or thrown away. You're getting the bran, the endosperm, and the germ. And with your processed bread at the store, no matter how wonderful it looks, no matter how full of grain it looks and what pretty brown color it is, they have taken out the most nutritional parts of the wheat berry because they need that bread to be shelf stable. And if you do not take out the germ out of the wheat berry, then there are oils in there that are going to go rancid in just a matter of weeks. And that is not something any marketer of any baked good ever wants to happen, right? I mean, you need to have a product that you can sell for as long as possible. So you need the longer shelf life. So you are not going to find the full flour, the full extent of the nutritional content of that wheat berry in any packaged bread that you could ever buy at Walmart. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so why do they matter for our gut health? Well, whole grains have, again, back to the fiber, a whole lot of fiber, but they also have carbs that our body can't digest. And those carbs that aren't absorbed by our, in, in our stomach then move on to the small intestine and they make their way to the large intestine and they are giving food to the good bacteria there. So research shows that whole grains actually promote the growth of that good bacteria. And I looked up some studies. Um, I'm trying to think, I think there's a study I meant to mention with one of my other ones that I just breezed through. Uh, I don't know. Um, but I did look up a study about whole grains. And I'm going to read to you part of the conclusion because this I thought was kind of mind-blowing. Once understanding the impact of whole grains on, how do you say this, satiety, when you feel full, and the microbiome is more developed. So they're saying we don't even have a fully developed view of how whole grains impact the gut. And this is the scientist that wrote this after doing this large study on how whole grains impact the gut. So they're saying, we don't even really understand it all. But once we really understand the huge impact that whole grains have on the microbiome, then particular grains might be used for better appetite control. I think they're pretty much saying that doctors will tell us what kind of breads to eat to lose weight. I mean, that's kind of what they're saying, <laughs> which as a bread lover, that made me really happy, <laughs> but I'll finish reading it. Instead of giving you the Michelle version, I'll just finish reading it. With this information at hand, healthcare professionals could make individual dietary recommendations that promote satiety, again, is that how you say it? Satiety? And contribute to weight control. So I don't know. Let me know what you think. Do you think I, I read that correctly? Because I'm pretty sure that's what they're saying, that doctors eventually someday are going to tell me what the best wheat berries are to be grinding to make my own bread that's going to help me lose weight. I think that's I think that's a beautiful idea. <laughs> but regardless, um, it's just it is definitely known in study after study that whole grains feed the gut. So um they also overall, I mean, we all know this, bread makes us feel full 
And bread also helps reduce inflammation, which is so important to fighting disease. So, I mean, not just bread, all whole grains. Um, so and they help with other risk factors and difficulties and even heart disease. There are studies I found that talked about whole grains and how it impact impacted someone's um, decreased their potential for heart disease. So, so much stuff. I will leave some, some links in the show notes if you'd like to dive into that more, because it's really interesting. Um, and by the way, every single episode this season, I have been putting the show notes on over on my site. So solelyrested.com. If you go to the search bar and you simply put S5 for season five, E, and then whatever number it's on. So this is episode 20, S5E20. And right there will pop up all the information that relates to this episode that you're listening to. So if you want to look at those studies, if you're into that kind of thing, go do that. Okay. Finally, this is kind of, I've kind of just been rushing through these because I knew there were these four things I wanted to mention, but really what I've gotten to now is the focus of the episode. Um, before I start number four, let's pause for a second because I need to tell you that we have a sponsor today that it's the perfect time of year. Um, True Leaf Market. I've told you guys about them for years because I have used them for even longer than that as my sole source of seeds, of cover crops, and so many wonderful tools that I link to all my favorite products at True Leaf at solelyrested.com slash seeds if you want to go check out everything. But um, I, for right now, just want to tell you one particular thing. This episode, I want to tell you, if you want to know more about fermenting foods, there, I just gave it away. That's what number four is. That's what we're diving into. I actually have a set here to show you if you're watching on YouTube. It's a little show and tell. But when I first started fermenting, I had no idea what I was doing. And I was really intimidated by all my options of what I could get for my tools that I could use to hold the food under the brine and what kind of container I should use. And should I get a big fermenting crock? Um, and then if you wanted to get some sort of a crock, there's different options, different styles of crocks. I was, I was really confused. <laughs> so when I came across Truly Market and I saw these, I just thought it was ingenious and I got really excited. Turns out it was the best Thing I have done to help me on my fermenting adventure is getting these springs and this lid. So this is one part of the set and you use it with mason jars. You put your fermented food in the mason jar and then the spring allows you to fill up the jar to the very top or it will you know, be whatever size you need it to be if your jar isn't full and that's going to hold your food under the brine. And then the lid is ingenious because it has these four holes on the top. It's a stainless steel, high-grade stainless steel lid with these holes. And then there's this little tiny, simple plastic insert that covers the holes. So no bugs can get in. Bugs love fermented food. But the air can still get in just fine, which is so important because that's what you're doing when you're fermenting food. You are collecting the good bacteria that is floating around in the air and letting it in to your food. And your food is 
just filling itself up with this great bacteria. And then when you eat the food, you are sending that great bacteria right to your gut and making it super happy and super eager to get to work making more of all those amazing nutrients and dopamine that you need. So there you have it. Go to um, True Leaf Market and search for their fermenting kit and use code S. R10, SR for solely rested, one zero because you are saving $10 off of every order of 50 or more. You spend 75 or more and you get free shipping. Um, or just start by going to solelyrested.com slash seeds. And there I have linked to these amazing ferment springs. The whole kit is linked there. Okay. So fermenting food makes it really high in probiotics. And it's such a simple process. It really couldn't be simpler. And that's really what my goal was in this episode, um, is to just walk you through what it's like to ferment food and how easy it can be. And just kind of answer some of the the common questions I get often and the common um, reservations that people share with me that they think they just can't do this and and why over on Instagram, whenever I talk about ferment, I always have people messaging me that, oh, I tried it and it failed. Well, why did you think it failed? Because it's really, really hard to fail your ferments. Trust me. In fact, it's almost impossible. <laughs> as long as I, I tell you what's really important, your salt, as long as you get the salt, right. As long as you're using a good recipe, I will link all of my recipes that I share on my site in one place on the show notes for this episode. So you can just go to the show notes and right there, I will have my recipes for fermenting cherry tomatoes, fermenting peppers, fermenting cauliflower. Um, there's another one. Oh, fermenting blueberries. So good. And a lot of information about kombucha because kombucha is a fermented drink. So there's fermented foods and fermented drinks. Both of them are collecting the good bacteria from the air and sending it right to your gut where it's needed. So the most important thing is the salt when you're fermenting fruits and vegetables. I'll tell you why. If you use a traditional salt that you can buy at any grocery store, just table salt, there are two things in there that are going to make your ferment most likely fail. First of all, there's iodine. And second of all, there are caking agents. So um, the salt companies like Morton add these caking agents because every summer when it's humid, the nature of salt is that the salt will form a clump. And nobody likes that. People get irritated if they go to use their salt shaker and there's a clump in there and things aren't coming out well. So long ago, Morton's added caking agents, you know, added chemicals to keep this from happening. Well, you know what? You can just give the shaker a good shake and move on with your day. And you don't need to be eating those chemicals that are keeping it from caking. Just a side note, just my two cents. Um, but also the iodine, it inhibits the growth of the good for you stuff that you want to be growing in your culture. It's inhibited and stopped from growing by the iodine and the caking agents. So you have to have the right salt. If you use Redmond's Real Salt, it's all that I buy. It's all that I've used for over five years now. It is the perfect salt for fermenting. 
on top of that, you're adding 60 plus trace minerals right there to your really good for you ferment. Can't beat it. Now you do need a different brine recipe for the different foods. So whatever food that you're fermenting, you do want to make sure you're getting a good recipe that's using the right amount of salt and the right amount of water, and then you add your food. So I think a mason jar is the simplest way to go. You literally put, you, you clean and prepare your food, however you want it to be prepared. Um, I like to like, I'll slice my peppers and take out all the seeds. And then I will slice them into little small pieces because the main way I like to use my fermented peppers is on my salad or in my scrambled eggs. So I want it to just be able to scoop out exactly the size slices that I want and put them in my food. So however it is you're going to be using it, prepare it accordingly, fill your jar with that food. Although I should stop right there and tell you, you don't have to fill the jar. You can literally use however much you have. If there's only three peppers right now in your garden, bring them in and ferment them. It's okay. Um, pour the brine over the food. You can add anything that your recipe gives you options of that you might like to improve the taste. You, know, you could use herbs, you could use garlic, um, or you can just use your salt brine, however you want it to taste. And then this is the thing that I think trick, trips people up a lot. They tell me, oh, it just tasted awful. I didn't like the taste of it. Well, I immediately say, but you're in control of that. You're the one making the ferment. You can taste your food daily and you can decide when you like the taste and then you stop the ferment process. It's really not rocket science. <laughs> so um, if I'm doing peppers or tomatoes or cucumbers or dilly beans, um, I will leave them for usually two days. I know at least two days I want them sitting there. And then on day three, I'll take a taste. And if it isn't quite what I want, okay, another day, give another taste. It could sit there for five days, six days. There are so many factors, so many factors that change every time you're making another batch of fermented food. So just try it out until it tastes the way that you and your family like it. And then you remove your spring, or if you're using a weight of some sort, take the weight out and, um, you can then transfer it. Like I will often have a big half gallon jar in the fridge this time of year when the garden is producing and I'll bring that out and add to it. So maybe I've done, I don't know, two different quarts of peppers over the course of the last few weeks, but I had a handful of peppers that just came up in my garden. So I fermented that handful and then after three, four days, when they taste the way I want them, I will take them out and put them in my half gallon jar that I already had going in the fridge. Like there's no reason to add a whole nother jar. I can just combine them, put them in the fridge. And then you're going to have extra brine. That's a whole different, that could be its own episode. Um, there's a lot of things you can do with the brine. You, some people just up, outright drink it. That's not for me. I, I wouldn't like that, but you can add it to salad dressing. You can use it in your cooking and your baking. And there's a lot of things you can do with the brine to still get the nutrients out of it. Um, or you can toss it and move on with your day. Um, another thing that people get tripped up on is, oh, but the, the taste changed over time. And a month later, I hated it. Well, you can refrigerate it. 
you don't have to. Fermented food can stay in a cool, dark area for many months, even up to a year, but the taste is going to be impacted over time because it's still fermenting some at that temperature. But if you put it in the fridge, then the fermentation almost stops. It never completely stops. It's still going to change slightly in the course of the months or year ahead. But in your refrigerator, you will find that the taste stays pretty uniform until you have finished eating that food. And then the last thing that I think trips people up the most, and I think this is why so many people tell me, oh, I destroyed it, I ruined it, oh, I threw it away when I tried to ferment. No, probably what they had was a really, really good thing going on in their jar, the calm yeast. It looks really scary. It looks intimidating. You see it and you go, oh no, there's there's gross stuff growing on my food. And you toss it and move on and think that you failed and you never ferment again. But it turns out the calm yeast is actually growing over your food because the lactic acid has been building up. And lactic acid is exactly what you want for your healthy gut. So it's, it's great when you see the calm yeast. Yes, good. You know, you succeeded. Uh, you might not always have the calm yeast. It doesn't mean that you're, that you failed. Um, but in general, when you do see it, it's, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Trust me. And you are definitely more likely to see calm yeast after even just a few days of fermenting. If you have sweeter foods that you're fermenting, like um, beets and carrots and sweet peppers, tomatoes. I always get calm yeast on my tomatoes. Okay, so if you see it, you know to be happy, but what do you do with it? Well, you can eat it. Calm yeast does not hurt you at all, but I assume it doesn't taste great. I've been told it doesn't taste great. I've never tasted it because I don't have any desire to because it looks weird. Um, so I just skim it off. I literally get a spoon scrape it off. Sometimes it's attached to the edge of your jar. It's usually just floating on the top. It might have a layer on whatever food is on the top. Um, if you want, you can scrape off the whole top layer of food that might be touching that calm yeast. And if you have backyard chickens, feed it all to the chickens. It's great for them. Or if you have a compost pile, toss it in the compost pile. Um, but I don't really want to throw away that food right on top. So I will skim off the yeast. And then if there's some still clinging here and there a little bit to the food, honestly, I just dunk it all. I just dunk it into the brine. It kind of rinses it off and it gets all intermingled and I'm good. I put it in the fridge and it's good. It's that simple. Okay. The last thing that crossed my mind is I wanted to prepare this episode that I thought, what are the you know, the roadblocks that I can help people overcome because fermented food is so, so good for our overall health. And it's so easy. It's one of the simplest ways you can preserve food. It really is, guys. There's no canner involved. There's no pressure canner involved. It's a very simple tools that you need. And there isn't even any fancy, you know, additions needed for sometimes when you're canning, you need some fancy extra stuff, but it's simple. It is like the poor man's simple way to preserve food. It really is. You just need salt in a jar pretty much. Um, so anyway, the final roadblock that people go, eh, is they think, how will I use it? Like, uh, what? Okay. So 
if you overcome the taste part, right? And you realize, oh, I'm in charge of the taste. I don't have to let it get crazy sour or really weird tasting. I can stop fermenting on day two or three when it has a lot of good bacteria in it, but it doesn't have the crazy taste. So you, you get over that, but then people still have the hang up. Well, uh, but I just don't know how I'll use it. I'm like, okay, maybe I can, maybe I can enjoy the taste and decide that I like it, but how will I use it? Guys, you can use fermented food the same way you use fresh food, exact same way. Put it on your tossed salads. Um, if it's fruit, put it in your smoothies, mix it in your scrambled eggs. I love fermented food in my scrambled eggs. Make a sandwich with it. Like literally add it to your tuna sandwich. Why not? Why not put fermented peppers and tomatoes on your tuna sandwich? Uh, mix it in with your guacamole when you're making it, add it to your soups. Like if it's tomatoes, put it in your Alfredo sauce. There's whatever you would do with the fresh food you can do with the fermented food in general you're just going to want to reduce the salt you're using in your eggs or your soup or whatever. Just a little bit less salt because the food does taste salty. I personally am a salty kind of girl. I love salty foods. So I love fermented foods. But anyway, you would use the food. You can use it fermented as well. It really is that simple. It really, really is. Okay. My favorite thing I'm going to end with this. My favorite thing to ferment, I think. I mean, this might change on any given week. I might give you a different answer, but I think at least 85% of the time, my answer would be cherry tomatoes because well, so many reasons. We love tomatoes. Bill and I, last year, I fermented four half gallon jars, mason jars. So two gallons of cherry tomatoes. And it was just enough to get us through the winter and the spring until I had more tomatoes in the garden. So it was perfect for us. And I used them all winter long. I used them on pizza. Um, I used them in all the ways I just said, you know, on my, mainly on my salad. I would have, I would, I really enjoy a tossed salad in the middle of the winter if I'm adding food from my garden to the top of it. Like it's just so much better. In general, I don't really have a taste for tossed salad in the winter because it doesn't seem like a winter food. But if it's a cold February night and I'm pulling out tomatoes that I grew last September in my garden, it makes me want to eat that salad. You know what I mean? It's good. Um, but I like cherry tomatoes because we eat so many of them, they're versatile, but also because they naturally, the shape that they are and the harder skin that they have, hard's the wrong word, tougher. And you know, you know, they have, they have a nice skin to them. Um, so you keep them whole and you simply pro poke one single toothpick size hole on each tomato. And I do that just to let the brine be able to get in and infuse through the food. But because you're just poking a small hole, the tomato keeps its shape. It keeps its overall texture. And they are the same a year later, almost the same as they were when I first put them in the jar. Because I think it's just the nature of the cherry tomato, you know, because they do have that solid shape and they're small. So they fit nicely in the jars. I don't know. They, they preserve beautifully. Now, it does matter what kind of tomatoes you're growing. There are all different kinds of cherry tomatoes. I think I grew six, maybe seven varieties last year. And I decided 
all of them did well. Um, but the one variety, except for one variety, and that is Matt's cherry tomato. They're a tiny little tomato. And in general, the skin is just much softer than other cherry tomatoes. And they very quickly in the brine will turn to mush. So you no longer have a tomato shape. You have like the innards of the tomato that you're scooping out of your jar, which is fine. That's, that's fine. And I used all of them, but I just really loved pulling out full cherry tomatoes in March, you know, that were still the same as when I preserved them. So I do not highly recommend Matt's cherry tomato. Um, there's also another tomato that I love sunrise bumblebee. Yes. Sunrise bumblebee is what it's called. I love the flavor. I love the gorgeous yellow and orange striped appearance of it, but they tend to be a little soft come March and not hold their shape quite as well. Some of them would get mushy as well. But aside from that, every other variety that I fermented held its shape beautifully. I was so happy with all of them. I think black cherry tomato might be my favorite for how well it preserves. Um, Chadwick are really good too. They're bigger. Um, but they're really good. Okay. Uh, what else? Oh, and I wanted to tell you about cherry tomatoes that I did an experiment. I had never kept them for an entire year in my root cellar, um, at regular root cellar room temperature. I'd always kept them in the fridge, but I kept one half gallon in the root cellar. And as of right now, which is August 25th, as I'm recording this, I still have a handful, maybe eight cherry tomatoes in that jar that I've been keeping as my experiment to see how long I'm going to let them go and taste one every so often. I just tasted one today. Totally good. Totally fine. And it's been at least a year since I first fermented those tomatoes and they've been in my root cellar. So they do not have to stay in the refrigerator. The taste is still fantastic. Now, part of that, oh, well, the, the big reason for that is I did stop the fermenting probably day three or day four when I fermented them last year. And I don't think I told you this. What I mean by stopping the ferment is you take the weight out or the springs, right? You remove that calm yeast, if any formed, and then you put a regular lid on top. So not one like my ferment lid that has these holes in it that I'm showing you on YouTube, but a regular lid that has no openings, no holes. You want a good seal on the lid, close it up, and that is going to slow down the fermentation tremendously. And then you can leave it in your root cellar or in a dark corner of the garage, you know, somewhere you do want it to be somewhere if possible that the temperature stays consistent year round and you want it to be in a dark area. So you can try different things with your foods. Try keeping some in the fridge and try keeping some in a dark, cool area. Um, I do know, I mean, that is the, the biggest um, downfall to fermenting is you do need to have refrigerator space depending on the food. Like fermented blueberries, they have to be refrigerated because you store the fermented fruit without the brine because it would get totally mushy and not be enjoyable if you stored it in the brine. So you drain the brine off, use it for wonderful things. I'm actually preparing reels right now for Instagram of some great things to do with the fermented blueberry brine. Um, so you keep it for sure, but you need to store those berries in the refrigerator. You don't have a choice because you're storing them without the brine. 
So that is a negative that I always do have to explain to people as much as I love fermenting, as much as I will get on a soapbox and talk about how good it is for you and how easy it is and how anyone can do it. I will admit, okay, you do need to have fridge space for a lot of the different foods, but if you can find a way to do that, it's golden. Very much so. I highly recommend it. So that is a wrap guys on this season. It has been fun. It has gone on for 20 episodes. My goodness. It's, and I, and I could have gone another 20, but pretty much my podcast editor said, Michelle, you're going to wrap up this season <laughs> just because it's kind of long. I mean, um, so we will be back here in a few weeks, starting our new season. I am excited to dive into a new topic with you. So don't forget, head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review and you will automatically be entered to win that great set of books to add to your home library. And the winner will be announced in the first episode of season six. So next time that we join each other here, the winner will be announced. Exciting. So go leave a review. And in the meantime, thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, it's always great to reconnect every week. And remember, it is easy to forget how blessed we are to live this life. So enjoy the simple everyday efforts. I know it's not easy, but it's a good life.